Let's come back together, find our seats. Merry Christmas. It's good to be together. Wonderful to hear us praising God and worshiping God. I'm Pastor Ron, one of the pastors here at Village. And we are excited to to dig into the story of Christmas with fresh eyes and with new eyes this morning. As you can see by the front of your worship folder, our theme is Adore. And think about the word adore for a minute. What are some things we adore other than Jesus? Because that's, I know we're supposed to answer that. Other than Jesus, what are some things we adore? Food, okay. What? Drinks, okay. Grandchildren, okay. Puppies. I saw someone hold up their Starbucks. Amen. Praise God. (laughs) Friends. Yeah. So we adore these things, right? Family. Family? Absolutely. Now, now here's the thing. We, we throw this word adore out. We just sang, Oh, come let us adore him. Right? We sang that several times. I love that song, but how can you tell all those things that you just said? How can you tell you adore them? How you care for them. Okay. That's a great answer. How we, you know, if you adore something and just ignored it, is that adoring? Well, I adore family and I saw them 10 years ago. Um, <laughs> no, it doesn't fit, right? What else? What, how do we know we adore those things? How you love them? We talk about them. Yeah. A few, let, let me just, okay, let me just get real for a minute. How many of you saw Star Wars this week? Those are the people that adore Star Wars. (laughs) Because they went and saw it. How many saw it on Thursday night? Okay, yes, I was there. It's true. And and it's uh, we we adore these things. And and so the people that adore Star Wars, they were there. They can't stop talking about it. You know what my favorite part of the movie is? The favorite spoiler in the movie? (laughs) You guys are no fun at all. (laughs) But the people that adore it, you know, they get together, they're talking about theories and who is Ray and all this. And if you don't like Star Wars, that's, I'm not going to say it. I won't do it because I adore you guys and I care about you guys. At Christmas time, we can adore a lot of things, right? Kids can sometimes adore Santa. And the way we know they're adoring Santa is every moment of every day, every, well, maybe every five minutes. Can we go see Santa? Can we go see Santa? When are we going to go see Santa? You promise we go see Yes, I promise for a week from now. Feels like a week. Uh, you know, and, and so we, adore, we can adore lights and put lots of lights on our house. That means we adore lights. We can adore gifts. Any kids already notice if there's gifts under the tree for them? Yeah. Yeah, my kids have already checked them all out and they're, wondering, they're already counting who has how many and, and all of those things. We adore these things. We, get, we adore Christmas music. Two months too early. But um, <laughs> we adore these things when we commit to them, when we, when we show our care, when we talk about them, when they become part of our lives and what we think about. We sang, oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. And we want to explore that this morning, and we want to adore him. See, the the thing about Christmas is it happens every year. And I I know that's an obvious statement of the, the day, but we read this story every year, and it is so easy to become accustomed to it, isn't it? 
It's so easy to be reading Luke 2, and yes, I know what happens yet next. There's a census, and Mary and Joseph, and the manger, and we can lose the wonder of it. We can lose the awe of it. We can lose the impact of it. And that's the danger with familiarity. Now, I'm not knocking familiarity. I would say, yes, we bring it up every year. Yes, we're teaching as we do that. It is important enough to do that. But we then have to be intentional to see the Christmas story with fresh eyes every year. We have to be intentional to to not lose the awe and the wonder and the significance of the story. And so, yes, we, we can fight the, the familiarity every year as we read the Christmas story. But don't stop doing that. Work to remember what God has done. You see, for us to adore and, and, and to come to the manger and adore the king, we have to figure out what that looks like, but we have to figure out what causes that. You know, we can't just somehow muster up adoring something. I'm just going to adore someone I don't like, or I'm just going to adore something that I, I don't know much about. We, we can't just muster up the false emotions. And so many times at Christmas time, we're trying to muster up emotions and we're left with just this, this emotional worship of Christmas that is devoid of the substance and the foundation of what God has done. And so today we want to move sort of a step before a door and talk about that first, and that's the concept of behold. Behold. And so the title today is Behold and Adore. And beholding says, okay, what kinds of things do we need to be remembering? What kinds of things do we need to be focusing on so that we will adore? So that the heart will be there? What kinds of, of truth? What kinds of significance has God built into this, this event, the birth of His Son, that we can behold and see what God has done? Because I am convinced when we behold and grasp the significance and the depth of what God has done, then the adoring will come naturally. We won't be able to help adoring. And so behold and adore. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And we're going to start at verse 9. And and, and in verse 9, Joseph and Mary have already arrived in Bethlehem. The baby's already been born. Jesus has been born and is in swaddling clothes and in the manger. There's no room in the inn. And, and that has happened. And some of the things we're, quite frankly, very accustomed to. But then we get to Luke chapter 2, verse 9, and we come to the shepherds and the angel. And for our first part today, this is where I want to sort of anchor ourselves and, and think through. Because the angels are asking the shepherds to behold, to see what is going on. So in Luke chapter 2, verse 9, we read, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. Yeah, if you're in a dark night and the whole sky lights up and there's angels, yeah, be afraid. But find out what's going on. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. See, the, 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 the angel didn't start by saying, go worship. He started by telling them the news. And that word behold, that means to look at something intently. That means to, to study it, to gather information about it, to be in awe of it. At Christmas time, kids, with your gifts, thinking back to the gifts, so many times that's a good description of behold. As you shake it, you're, you're beholding it. You're figuring it out. As you look at the sides and say, you know what, this is box. I bet that's not my skateboard. You know, whatever. You're, you're figuring it out. You're beholding it. And then when you open it, 
that moment you open it and you're like, yes! You're beholding it. You're, 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 you're capturing everything about it and it has become central to your vision. It has become central to what you're doing. That is the idea of behold. And so the angels say, fear not, for behold, look at this, pay attention to this. This is awesome. Maybe they didn't use the word awesome. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And it goes on to say, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And even in this short little section, we see behold and adore. We see the angels beholding and sharing what the good news is. And then they just can't help but worship. They can't help but burst out glory to God in the highest. And there's singing and there's praise and there's worship. There's adoration of the Lord because of what he's done. And so as we come to this first part, out of this text, we see a couple things that are good to behold. A couple things that are good for us to reflect on if we're going to get to the place where we can adore. And certainly there is more throughout Scripture. But out of this text, I just want to highlight a couple things that I challenge you to keep top of mind this year. The first thing in verse 11. The first thing the angel said, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ, as Pastor Andrew talked about last week. That means Messiah, anointed one, who is the Messiah, who is the Lord, the ruler of all. And the first thing is we want to reflect on the grace and the plan of salvation. We want to reflect on grace and the plan of salvation. It's the first thing they mention is the idea of a Savior. The idea that we need a Savior, that they've been waiting for a Messiah. You see, if we need a Savior, that means we need to be saved. And as we reflect on even this first sentence on on His grace and the plan of salvation, I think the first thing we have to do is realize that we need to be saved and realize the desperate condition we're in before Christ. You see, sin that entered the world in Genesis 3, sin that entered the world with Adam and Eve, completely tore and and rent apart our relationship with God. It was an act of rebellion against God, of shaking our fist in God's face that has never stopped since then. In fact, we sang it this morning. We know from Romans that all of creation groans because of what sin has done to this world. And so you and I, before Christ, we are dead in our sins. And think about the word dead. And you're thinking, well, this is a Christmas message. This isn't very encouraging. This is how we get to a door. Think of the word dead. Lifeless. Unable to do anything. And that's what sin did to us. It made us slaves of sin, destined for judgment. Destined for God's judgment because He is a holy, righteous God and cannot leave sin without consequence. See, we don't like to see ourselves this way. This is why this is sort of a bummer of a beginning to a Christmas message. Because we like to think of ourselves as good. Because at our heart, at our core, our natural man is self-centered. We are independent. We are in charge of our own destiny. And in many ways, we are tyrants. Because we only care about self. 
And so we know that sin then has destined us for judgment. We are dead, which means we can't do anything. We cannot save ourselves. And this is the news that, that, that we're asked to behold is the first step is we cannot save ourselves. There is nothing that you and I can do that will get us back into God's favor. There is nothing that will earn our way to heaven. There is nothing that will bypass the judgment that is due our sins. And that's the bad news. But this is good news of great joy. But God stepped in and changed everything. God stepped in and provided a way that we couldn't provide, that we, because we're dead in our sins, we are unable to provide. He steps in and says, I love you so much that I will extend grace to you that you don't deserve because I want you to have salvation. I want you to be in eternity with me. This is good news of great joy. And I know in this room, most of you know this. Most of you have accepted Christ and chosen to follow Christ. But see it with a fresh perspective this morning. See the depth of where we are without Christ. And see the beauty of the manger, which is the beginning of God's salvation plan. As His Son comes into the world. You see, when we start to realize we don't deserve this, then we start to be in wonder and awe of it. Village, we don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve God's grace. And that's what makes it beautiful. And that's what reveals God's character. Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, He came as a baby in that manger. And so undeserved grace is God's favor on us while we were still shaking our fist at Him. Instead of judgment and punishment without hope, God created a way and God showed up. And this should blow our minds a little bit because we aren't like this, right? In our nature, we aren't like this. If someone offends us, if someone does something that hurts us, what is our natural inclination? It's, it's revenge. Yeah, to, to put it bluntly, it's revenge. It's retaliation to get them back. I mean, you watch in sports and someone forearms someone to the ground and the guy says, oh, that was fine, no problem. No, no, the guy gets up and hits them back or does I, Yeah, our natural inclination is revenge and judgment. Although, although we package it a little bit better and we say, well, it's just justice. I'm really just about justice. Guys, that's our natural inclination. But that wasn't God's. He said, yes, my righteousness and my holiness, I must judge sin, but I love them and I will show grace to them and I will provide a way to save them if they will only follow me. If they will only follow me. And so the first thing to reflect on is grace and the plan of salvation. Think of what we deserve and think that God came as a baby to fix that. Think of what Jesus came and would endure, the cross, the sacrifice, being a baby, to go through all of that in our place. Also think through as we think of the plan of salvation, think through what we've been talking about with Esther and some of the sermons recently. This whole plan of salvation for, for 2,000 years, God has been orchestrating history to get to the point of the manger. 
There was, there was no plan B. This is his plan A because God is almighty and he makes sure plan A happens. And so this is part of the awe. We're reflecting on the grace, but all part of the awe is that the almighty God made this happen. His fingerprints are all over the Old Testament leading to this point so we could have salvation, so his grace could flow over us freely and abundantly. This should make us say, wow. This should make us in awe and wonder that I don't deserve this. I deserve punishment. And on Christmas, God showed up to change that. Not because of anything I've done, because I'm not a good person, but because of how much he loves and wants to show grace. So reflect on grace and the plan of salvation. Second thing, the next verse, verse 12, to reflect on is the incarnation. And this will be a sign for you, the angel said. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And, and the angels, are, they're probably like, really, a baby? I, I, don't, I don't know what the angels are thinking or how much of the plan they knew. But the incarnation had to be such a twist, such a different way of God bringing salvation that it, it probably blew them away, but it should blow us away. When we reflect on the incarnation, and what we mean by that is that God became flesh. That God himself became man. As Pastor Andrew likes to say, carne means meat. So incarnation in the flesh, in the meat. God is here. And just think about that this Christmas. Think about what that means that God would take on human flesh. That the Almighty God, who is in control of all things, who is sovereign over all things, who with a word made all things, entered His creation as a helpless little baby. Wow. Wow. And he did that so he could extend that grace and so he could extend that salvation. And just even the concept of God as fully man and fully God theologically blows our minds. There are books written on this and men and women struggle with this their whole lives because how can God be fully man and fully God? And I am not going to explain that well this morning because it should blow our minds. We aren't God. We can't comprehend how this happens. This is part of the awe and the wonder that God himself became man. That Jesus showed up and he was the pre-incarnate one. He had always been, but he shows up in human form and he is fully man. He doesn't just possess a man. He became man. God doesn't create Jesus at this point. He always was. And the more you think about it, the more it'll hurt a little bit. But that's a good thing. Because that makes us in awe and wonder of our God. That God, who is above all things, chose to empty himself in Philippians 2. And become a servant. And be made in the likeness of man. Praise God. Praise God that he would do this. For me, it's two parts, that he would do it because I don't deserve it, and that he could do it because I can't comprehend it. But this shows us his heart for us. It shows us that he was willing to humble himself and become a man for us and ultimately die on the cross for us. He humbled himself 
because we won't humble ourselves. He humbled himself to deal with our pride and self-centeredness. We should be blown away by the incarnation. You know, even in the song that, that we sang, Oh, come let us adore him. Verse 3, it, it, it brings us up. It says, Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. Jesus, to thee be all glory given. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. That's the incarnation. The Word is Jesus Christ, now in flesh appearing. And, and, and right there, then it goes into, Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Why would he do this? Why would he humble himself and become a helpless little baby, born in the humblest of circumstances, but to show us grace and to offer salvation? The angels then go on, and it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, and they burst out in worship because they can't do anything else. You can't help it. Glory to God in the highest. And that's the third thing that I would challenge you to reflect on. Reflect on God's glory. And if you remember, God's glory, as we described it, is the sum total of all of his attributes and characteristics. It's who he is. And it all showed up in the manger. His his righteousness and holiness showed up because he's going to take the penalty for sin that we deserve. His grace and his love showed up because he wants to offer salvation. God showed up in his entirety, in his fullness, in his glory. And so reflect on this portrait of God's character. And finally, especially for the kids that are in here, I want you to think about this. I have a couple kids up here. This is a true story. This actually happened. It's not a fairy tale that you read in a book. And as we're reflecting on it, we need to remember that this actually happened. That there, there is Bethlehem. There was a manger. That God showed up. This is not just a nice story to make us think good thoughts about God. No, this actually happened. And kids, I know sometimes it can feel like a fairy tale because it blows our mind. But this is real. The angels then break out in worship and they adored. And we're going to see that in the second half. We're going to look at the, the shepherds and the wise men. And they both behold, they both see what God has done, see the depth of what he's done. And then they break out in worship and adoration. And the angels did. I think a great description of this is Mary. Um, as she, later it says she pondered all these things in her heart as she adored her son. But in, in the Magnificat, in, in Luke chapter 1, as she's reflecting, as she's beholding what God has done, all of her comments come back to the character of God and what he's doing. And that is the source of her adoration. Let me just read Luke 1, 46 to 55. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So there's the adoration. There's the, the, the worship. And then she says, why? What she has beheld. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. 
He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. She adores because she understands what God has done. That is the foundation and the proper basis for adoration. You you can muster up adoring Christ this year just by thinking of how beautiful the story is, how beautiful the lights are in worship, or you can be blown away by what God has done. Think about His grace that we don't deserve, but He offers it freely. Think about that plan of salvation. Think about the incarnation, which we can't understand, but God made possible so we could be saved. Think of God's glory. Think that He brought all this to pass, and it actually happened. Don't lose the awe of what we're beholding. Don't lose the awe. And and if you're here today and you haven't heard these things and you haven't chosen to follow Christ, today's a day that you can choose to do that. Wrestle with what happened at the manger. Wrestle with why God would do that, why we would need that. And then I urge you, give your heart to Christ. Follow Him because He is extending that grace to you. And if you haven't met Christ... And if you haven't wrestled with what he's done, you can't adore. It's not possible. You can like Christmas, but you can't adore the Savior. And so we come and behold with fresh eyes. I'd like worship team to come up and we're going to worship some more and behold some more. And then we'll celebrate communion. And then we'll talk about adoration a little bit. But let's continue to worship our Lord. We want to spend a few moments beholding and remembering right now And one of the ways we do that is through the Lord's Supper, through communion, that Jesus himself instituted for the church and instructed us to do on a continual basis so we will continue to behold, so we will continue to come and see what God has done. In Luke 22, we see that right before Jesus is betrayed and and right before his death, he gathers the disciples together. And he, he has the Lord's Supper. He institutes the Lord's Supper. And it says, so, so Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, behold, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters. And it goes on to describe that God was even ordaining and orchestrating the events of bringing this act of remembrance together. Then it says, and when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I love that. I wanted to do this together. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, the cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And even at the table sitting there, for behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And at that moment, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper communion. 
and we take this, and this is, this is a, a, something that we observe as believers for those that are following Christ. And the bread, it represents the, Christ's body, that he willingly came as a baby and took on the flesh that he took on and that he would willingly sacrifice on the cross. And so it represents the fullness of his humanity that he gave up on the cross in our place. The juice, it represents his blood that was spilled. The payment for sin. The just payment for sin. The offense against an infinite God is judgment. It is our lives. And Jesus paid that with his blood. And so the juice represents his forgiveness, his grace, his salvation. And so we'll take those together. And we're going to do it a little differently today. I'm going to pray here in just a moment. And then we're going to have multiple stations. Then we have one station upstairs and a station in the back. And then we have, we'll have two halves up here. And I invite you just to get up out of your seat. We're going to be a little more interactive this morning. To get up out of your seat and go to one of the stations and to take the elements. And as you're taking them, to pause for a moment and behold. To pause for a moment and think through what Christ did. Reflect on what Christ came and what he started on that Christmas. And then thank him and eat the elements. And if you're here with family or friends, you're welcome to send one person to get a few things and go off to the side to make this a a little bit uh, more uh, conducive and work out all the logistics. But we want to spend some time praising God together and, and standing up in a way of beholding and adoring. And after you've done communion, we invite you to go to one of these two Christmas trees up here. And we have ornaments for every family, one per family, one per per, um, person that's here. And the ornaments say, come, let us adore him. Come adore him. And then take this back to your seat and just look at it and, and reflect on what Christ has done. And maybe when you sit down, just, just as you pray, say, thank you, Jesus, for. Thank you, Jesus, for. And say, whether it be salvation or, or a way that he's worked in your life. But this is an interactive time of saying, we remember what you've done and we adore you for it. So let me, let me pray, and there'll be an elder at, or two at each table just helping out. We'll pray, and then we'll spend, while the worship team sings, we'll spend five, ten minutes doing this together and acting out our faith and that we remember what Christ has done. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Lord Jesus, we behold what you've done. We've come and we see, and Lord, it, it is amazing. It is awe-inspiring, the wonder of your work, that you even could become flesh, and that you would. And that you extend grace when we don't deserve it. Lord, that you broke the silence and the sin of this planet, and you offered a way for communion with you and reconciliation with you. Oh, Lord God, thank you. Thank you for taking on flesh that would end up on a cross in my place. But three days later, would rise again, defeating death and sin and offering that same victory to us. Lord, we praise you and we worship you. Thank you for the blood that was spilled in my place. That you offer forgiveness fully, freely, and forever in every way that I don't have to hold on to guilt, that I don't have to hold on to the stain of sin, the, the, the fear the slavery that comes with that, but I can give that all to you. Lord, we behold you and we worship you today.
In your name, amen. We've spent some time beholding. But what does it look like to adore? And, and what do we do with that? And this is sort of, okay, how do we put feet to this? How do we put this into practice? And how do we adore our Savior? I think it's, it's helpful to think through some of the other participants in the Christmas story. And what did they do? Because they all beheld and then they adored. And we start with the shepherds. We already saw the angels. They gave glory to God and worshipped. The shepherds, what did they do? In Luke two fifteen, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying, baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they beheld it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So for the shepherds, they just couldn't stop talking about it. It was so consuming that that's all they could talk about and they're rejoicing and they're praising and everyone's going to hear, this is what we saw, this is what we beheld. Because what they saw was so incredible. You know, think of the Magi over in Matthew chapter 2. And, and they, they went and they saw Herod and said they wanted to worship. Herod gave them some information. But behold, the star they had seen when it rose and went before them, they followed it until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And so you have rejoicing just like the shepherds. And going into the house, they saw the child and Mary his mother. And then they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And so with both of those, we see a rejoicing, a consuming um, passion for this. I mean, the Magi traveled hundreds of miles on a camel to, to see this. And they rejoiced and then they worshipped. We saw that Mary treasured these things in her heart. And so we come to what is a door? What is the door? And it's all of those things put together. And I just want to give us a couple of quick bullet points of how we can adore, what a door includes. Because if we have to define it, it's, it's, let me get technical here, but it's to regard with utmost love, admiration, fondness, and devotion. It's sort of this word that incorporates a lot of different emotions together. To worship deeply, to like, and to honor. And so... We, we have to think of adore as more than just one of these words. It's more than just love. It, it's, it's more than just awe. But number one there, adoring is love, like, and awe put together. That makes sense? It's love, like, and awe all put together. And, and so, yes, it, it is to like very much. It's to be fond of. But it's, it's more than that. It has all of these things, and it has an element of affection with it. Now, you might say, well, love covers all that. And, and depending on your definition of love, I get that. It could. But so many times, love for us, and as we, as we think about love and how it's used, love is a choice and an action not based on feelings, right? We teach that. No matter what you're feeling in the morning, husbands, you're to love your wives. Wives, you're to love your husbands. And, and so we can, we can love sometimes, but not always like, unfortunately. Adoring is like and love put together, mixed with a dash of awe and wonder. It's, it's, it's saying that we love God, but we adore him, and our affections are turned towards him. 
And, and we understand that difference, right? We, we understand that, that sometimes all of that needs to come together for adoration to happen. You know, in relationships, thinking of relationships, when you're dating, a whole lot of more adoring often happens than when you're married. To our, to our chagrin, to our detriment. But when you're dating, you know, you adore, you think about the person, you like them, and, and everything's centered on them. And sometimes we lose that when we're married. And that ought not to be. That ought not to be. And maybe that's familiarity, maybe that's just life. But adore mixes both the like and the love. And that is what Jesus wants from us. He wants to capture our heads and our hearts. He wants our attentions and our affections. And when we understand, when we've beheld what he's done, we give both. We can worship him with both our heads and the knowledge and with adoring with our hearts, with the emotion. Now, I know even to mention the word emotion in, in Christian circles, like, oh, no, no, no. And, and we've seen examples of that even in the news this week where emotions have taken churches off the rails and in, into theology that is just bad theology. But that doesn't mean we throw emotion out. God has designed us to both behold and adore. And he wants us to do both. Sometimes we might be afraid of emotions in Christianity. I would say bah humbug, which is an emotion. Adore Jesus. Adore Jesus. Love him. But based on what he's done. Number two, when we think of adoring, we give our time and energy to what we adore, don't we? We give our time and energy to what we adore, what we're excited about. And so this is part of the utmost esteem, part of the definition, the love, the admiration, the devotion. And we know this, we know this to be true. We know that adoring means to give time and energy to something. We talked about that at the beginning. It's always interesting when, when, when we watch high schoolers in their first crush. And they adore this person, right? AJ, you're smiling because you, you, you go through this. And those of you that are in high school, I understand. I get and, and life becomes all about that person. And will that person be there? And will I see them? And, and Because our time and our energy, we give to what we adore. When someone's a sports fanatic, that's all you hear about. You know, I, I went to lunch with Joshua this week at, at Sioux Plantation and he's wearing this, this really ugly Green Bay hat. No, just kidding. Just, this, this Green Bay hat. And we're walking out and some guy that he doesn't know says, nice hat, man. And they start talking about Green Bay. Regardless of whether you like Green Bay or not, it's a picture of adoring a team, right? And, and what that, the bonds that that can create. We give our time, energy, and what we talk about, what we think about, to what we adore. You know, you're going to find out at Christmas celebrations what some of your relatives adore. Just by listening. Just by, and maybe it's something, maybe it's themselves, I don't know. But um, what we talk about, we adore. It's true of the shepherds. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. The magi, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So here's the thing. Do we adore Jesus? Do we give him that kind of time, thought, energy, talk? Are we that excited about what he's done? 
When we behold it, we will be. And, and so we, we want to think in terms of adoring means giving time. Here's the thing. You cannot adore Jesus and only see him on Sunday for two hours. That's not adoring. And, and so when we want, we want Christmas to last, right? We want this to affect our lives. Then, then we need to spend time with Jesus after this season. Because when we adore someone, we want to spend time with them. And more than just a couple hours. Think about choices for serving. Think about choices for, for telling people about him. When we adore something, those rise to the top of the list. Those become priorities. You know, so, sometimes at Christmas, we have to make hard choices with family traditions and with serving with other things. So what wins? What wins is usually what we adore. Do we adore Jesus? Are we willing? So many of you were willing to give up a weekend or a week of your time for living nativity, for something that showed an act of adoring Jesus and put other things aside. Thank you for that. That is a choice of serving. Kids, this is hard, but are you more excited about Jesus coming or opening your presents Sunday morning? Don't know, right? Thank you for your honesty. That is the right answer. Because the presents are there. I can see them and and I get what I want. But adoring, when we start to reflect on what Christ has done, that, that's got to be that's got to be high on the list to get excited about it. That's why it's awesome to give gifts rather than just get gifts because we're modeling uh, or, or we're, we're patterning ourselves after our Savior. See, adoring means making that thing or person central in our lives. We'll want to do His will. We'll want to follow Him. We'll make sacrifices for him. We treat what we adore as priceless. Third thing that's part of adoration, and the last thing this morning. When we adore Christ, we can't help but worship him. We see that in the shepherds. We see that in Mary. We see that in the angels. We see that in the magi. Almost like there's a pattern. And there is. See, when we adore Christ, we can't help but worship him because he now is more important to us than ourselves. Worship is about what's most important. Am I going to worship self because that's on my throne? Or am I going to worship Jesus because he's on my throne? And guys, he came to earth and died on the cross so he could be worshipped and he can be on our throne. And it doesn't work if we live for self. Oh, it might work for a while, but it fails at the very essence of who we are. See, Jesus wants us to do more than sing a couple songs on Sunday morning. More than say we worshiped by reading scripture. He wants our whole self. He wants us to be in awe and wonder of what he's done. He wants the heart and the head engaged, as we said. You can worship without adoring, but you can't adore without worshiping. See, adoring is to pay divine honor to, to worship. It means getting beyond ourselves. Ultimately, And I love Paul Tripp's quote on this. The baby in the manger came as a conquering king to dethrone us and then to enthrone himself in our hearts. Let me read that again. The baby in the manger came as a conquering king to dethrone us and then to enthrone himself in our hearts. You want to adore Jesus this year? Keep in mind, you can't adore Jesus and self at the same time. One of them will win. And we have to choose which.
So we choose to worship Jesus. We choose to adore Jesus. This means adoring him in good times. It means adoring him in hard times. Because if hard times stop us from adoring him, then we're on the throne. Then life's about me. Then my my circumstances have now consumed me. But if I adore Jesus, my circumstances don't matter. That's worship. A life devoted to God. So this, this year, this week, as you celebrate Christmas, how will you make sure your celebrations make sure to show what you adore? Will it be evident what you adore? Will it be about the gifts? Or will it be about the gift? Will it be about grace? Or will it be about celebration and all the trappings of Christmas? And I'm not saying those things are bad. Enjoy those together. But what's preeminent? What is first in our hearts and minds? And so be intentional this year. You know, maybe that means, as many of you do, reading the Christmas story before you open gifts. And you never know, moms and dads, you never know if that's effective or not. When they're young, they're like, no, not again. That's two verses. That's forever. Um, (laughs) But now this year, or last year actually, one of the times we almost didn't read the Christmas story in the hustle and bustle, and my kids were like, dad, We need to read the story. You never know what you're teaching. Stay persistent. Teach it. Make sure that we don't lose the beholding and the adoring. We sing, O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Let me pray and then we'll finish by adoring Christ. Lord God, we are in awe and wonder at what we don't deserve. Lord, this is more than just a pretty story. This is more than just a nice thing at Christmas to have lights and get family together and have a great meal. Lord, help us to be sold out for you that we can't stop talking about what you've done, that we can't stop talking about grace and showing grace to others, that we can't stop talking that the king is here. Lord, I pray that you would confront areas in our lives where we are on the throne and realize you came to dethrone us. You came to save us, but then to capture all of us, our affections, Lord, our intentions, our thoughts. Lord, help us to adore you well this season. We love you. We adore you. We worship you because you are worthy. In your name.